Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Hi guys, uh, so good to be with you. Um, we, we now come to the, the sharp end of all that Jesus uh, came to do on the earth. Um, this then is the, 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 the Sunday uh, before Jesus would be crucified on the Friday. Uh, Jesus has five days left on the earth in this way. And, uh, and this, this is an important passage. I mean, all, all of the passages in the Bible, of course, are important, but this is important uh, because it's, it's told four times. It's, it's included in all of the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in, in John, uh, which means it's key to ultimately the, the, the story of Jesus, the, the story of the death and, and resurrection. And it's interesting to me because by this point, Jesus is only a couple of years younger than me. And then Matthew has taken 20 chapters to detail 33 years, or certainly tell the story of Jesus over the 33 years of his life. But now, as we enter Matthew chapter 21, in the last seven chapters, which is literally a quarter of the gospel, Matthew would, would spend seven chapters on the next seven days. Clearly, there's a, there's a slowing down here uh, because we enter, as I say, a really crucial point in his life and in his ministry. And, and Jesus, this, this point really starts earlier. Like the, the balls were set in motion to this point. Jesus arriving on the scene in Jerusalem, actually, probably in Matthew chapter 16. Because before Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus had a pretty kind of expansive ministry. Uh, he was going from, uh, Easter, yeah, there was the political and religious hub that was Jerusalem, but he was traveling further and further out from Jerusalem, going through the towns, through the villages, uh, preaching, teaching, healing, delivering, uh, up until he gets to a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is um, about 130 miles from Jerusalem uh, in a straight line. Uh, bringing it into the modern day, uh, this is about uh, the distance that Birmingham is from Brighton. Meaning at the start of Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is in Birmingham. And in Matthew 16, something 
interesting happens that that changes Jesus course literally uh, Jesus would famously ask his friend Peter who do you say that I am he, Peter is his disciple and he's been with him for like nearly three years and Jesus goes just rocks up to him and is like Peter so we've been together for a while now you've seen some pretty extraordinary things who, who do you did you think I am then come on tell me who do you say I am uh, Peter makes the, the good confession. He, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and it seems like this, this confession from Peter, as I say, sets things in motion for Jesus because it says, kind of immediately after Peter says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, must go to Jerusalem. And he must suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And so Jesus does an about turn. He does a 180. He stops journeying further and further away from uh, Jerusalem. And he starts coming back, taking a long journey into Jerusalem. Setting his face like flint to his destiny which was a crucifixion on a Roman cross. And here we have in our passage, Jesus making his entrance. The king has returned after so many months away, preaching, teaching, etc. He finally is at the gate. And the atmosphere is finely balanced. You wouldn't get that just by reading the passage. There's, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Firstly, because it's the time of Passover. Uh, Passover is on the Friday. We, 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 we call it Good Friday. This is it's the same day, Passover Friday. And Passover was the, the biggest event in the Jewish calendar, still is. And the general population of Jerusalem in this day was about 40,000 people. But around Passover, that population would swell to north of two million people, comfortably, comfortably. Uh, because all the people from all around the regions would, would make their way up to Jerusalem for the big national, religious, political event. The only thing I can compare it to, to, to bring it into the modern day, locally for us, would be Pride, Brighton. Consider the, the, the mass numbers that flock from all around the country to congregate into the uh, cultural hub. This is something of what's going on here at a Passover. The streets are rammed. There's excitement in the air here. But this Passover is different. This isn't just like any Passover. <laughs> because there's just a sense that this mighty this fiery prophet Jesus is going to turn up on the scene and, and make a statement and there's whispers going around oh, is, he, is he going to come where is he he's been gone so long is he going to come back for Passover Passover and the people here that they wanted him to they really did because the Jewish people are living under a, a Roman occupation a Roman occupation this means that they they weren't slaves but they certainly weren't free. The, the, the Romans controlled, extorted, and generally pushed them around. 
they, they monitored their day-to-day -day affairs, the Romans did, and, 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 and none, none more so than at times of national celebration, like the Passover, the, 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 the great event of the year. They, they were careful to ensure that there wouldn't be an uprising that was started so as to challenge their authority. Uh, this caused the, the people of Israel to, to long, long for their Messiah. This, this long promised figure, almost like military figure, uh, promised through the, the, the pages of the Old Testament, one that would liberate them and lead them liberate them from the bondage that they were under, the, the Roman kind of bondage, if you like, and, and, and lead them in this kind of the way the Bible refers to it oftentimes as this, a kind of an everlasting victory. They longed for a, a king like David, a King David, to, to take on the Goliath of the Roman rule, which is why they, they literally, they chant that. They chant his name. They say, Hosanna to the son of David as Jesus rides in. Hosanna, here's one like David. <laughs> one that's like a liberator, a king, a warrior. And this word, Hosanna, it's interesting as well. It means, it's taken from Psalm 118 and it means save us now. Save us now, now being the operative word. And with two million Jewish strong at the time of Passover present, the Roman authority would have been greatly outnumbered. And this kind of, kind of ecstatic, frenzied, tense, messianic atmosphere is further seen by the presence of these branches uh, this is what it says. It says, And the crowd sped, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Other Gospels tell us that these branches were, were palm branches, this then being the first Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday being the Sunday before Easter Sunday, the Sunday before Good Friday. And these palm branches uh, had taken on political significance uh, because they were... They were symbolic of national independence. And we see this from kind of a local Jewish history, whereby in the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the four or five hundred year period there, um, other messiahs, would-be messiahs, rose up in amongst the people and, and led a rebellion. And, and these palm branches became part of the national imagination and, and it took on a life of their own. And, and though the messiah kind of insurrection was quelled, um, ultimately this, this is what's going on here. This is why they're waving the, 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 these, these branches around. Uh, bringing it into the modern day, uh, 2016 specifically, if before a certain uh, uh, kind of um, uh, um, referendum, if before a certain referendum, which of course in itself was a huge national event, uh, there were uh, a kind of scenes of people waving Union Jacks and laying them on the streets and dancing. You, you, you get something of how tense, especially at that time, um, that event would have been. That's only a teensy weensy bit of what this would really have been like. And, 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 and it would be tense enough if Jesus arrived by himself, right? But Jesus doesn't just arrive by himself. Jesus arrives with his men. And I'm not just talking about his disciples because Jesus would have 
as he was kind of coming back from Caesarea Philippi again, from Birmingham, making the way on foot down to Brighton, he continued his preaching and teaching ministry through Matthew 17, 18, 19 and 20, which are a record of what he does and teaches as he's coming back to the, the cultural hub of Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, he would have collected people, devout Jews at least, that would have traveled down with him, wanting to go to the big event, the, the, the big, the big show, if you like, the, the Jerusalem at Passover, the, 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 the uh, event of national importance. And it's all of these things that are, that are finally, that are making the situation finally balanced. We have Jesus that has been gone for so long. We have these chants of David, this new kind of David. We have the people crying out to Jesus as he rides in, save us now. We, we have these palm branches which were symbolic of national independence. We have the Roman authority looking in on the Passover because it's the big national event. We have Jesus arriving with his men and arriving at the time of Passover. Again, this fiery prophet, is he gonna make a statement? This is a tense situation. And there would have been a riot, but for one thing. I tell you this, if Jesus came in on a horse, which was what would have been expected, this would be game over, be a riot. But in the end of season twist, Jesus rides a donkey, not a horse. And this act would be highly symbolic um, because horses are, 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 are symbolis, symbolic of war. Whereas donkeys, on the other hand, right through the Old Testament, they're uh, symbolic of, of humility and peaceful rule. Jesus then was making a statement his statement was this, my kingdom is not going to take things by force. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm a different sort of king. The crowd wanted Jesus to bring violence. But Jesus has come to Jerusalem to receive violence. The crowd are, are looking for insurrection. Whereas Jesus is looking to the resurrection. The, the crowd want Jesus to, to, to they, want, they want blood shed. But Jesus has come to shed blood. Why? Because Jesus doesn't ride a horse. Not in this life. Jesus rides a donkey, not a horse. And if you are a Christian, Jesus calls you to follow him, which means to, to imitate him, to copy him, to emulate him, to, to follow his way. The, the term Christian means mini Christ. It means like you're kind of like him. He calls you to follow him, which means the way you are to disagree online is by riding a donkey, not a horse. The way to advance your business is by riding a donkey, not a horse. The way to help your children obey you is by riding a donkey, not a horse. The way to nurture your marriage is by riding a donkey, not a horse. The way to, the way to pursue the career of your dreams is by riding a donkey, not a horse. The way to speak to people that don't yet believe in Jesus, about Jesus, 
is by riding a donkey and not a horse. The way to date someone that you're interested in in this church is by riding a donkey, not a horse, because Jesus leads the church and he rides a donkey and not a horse. And, and riding a donkey is a very different posture to riding a horse. You see, when you're riding a horse, you sit higher. <laughs> you make yourself bigger. Your chest puffs out. Not possible to ride that way when you're riding a donkey. Because riding a donkey, far from sitting higher, you sit lower. You don't make yourself bigger, you, you make yourself narrower. And, 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 and your chest doesn't kind of swell, it slouches. Uh, the posture of riding a donkey is to ride repentant. You, you give up any illusions of kind of, the, of grandeur, of being kind of the, the hero as such. And let me say this, don't hear me wrong, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not saying let's all be, let's all be boring, <laughs> let's all be passive and unambitious. That, that's not what I'm saying. And the reason I can say that is because Jesus was not at all like that. And the reason I can say that is because the very next story, <laughs> the very next thing that happens in this same chapter, in fact, this is God willing what we're preaching from here next, next Sunday. So I won't get into it too much. But the very next thing Jesus does is he, he comes off his humble donkey. He goes into the temple, which probably would have been the next day. He, he sees what's going on in the temple. He, he then uh, makes a, a whip of cords and begins to drive people out of the, of the temple. He, 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 he overturns the, the tills. He, he tears down the merch. Why? Because they've made the temple into something that it was never meant to be. He said, you've made it into a den of robbers. So Jesus is the kind of Messiah that, yes, he, he rides a humble donkey, but he's the kind of Messiah that rides a humble donkey full of zeal for the Lord God Almighty. It really is both and. And it is possible to uh, kind of be the sort of Christian that chooses to um, not... Uh, have this posture, this leaning, this preference, this default, this, this attitude of humility. It is possible to belong to Jesus and, and choose to ride a horse and not a donkey. The problem for you is um, what Jesus does with those that are his that ride horses. They just knock you off just knock you off easy just ask the apostle paul in acts chapter 9 then known as saul of tarsus he, he was riding around on his proverbial high horse and quoting verses most likely paul at this point in his life before his conversion experience he could have quoted verses for days he literally could have quoted verses in his sleep he could justify his behaviour. He, he looked good. He looked impressive. He turned up on the, 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 in the temple every week. He could have taught it. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus knew that this, this guy, no, he's, he's, he's riding a horse. He's, complete, he's, he's an enemy of mine, the gospel. 
And so he, he turns up, he knocks him off. Therefore, friend, if you're his and you persist in riding a horse, he will knock you off. You will fall over. And depending how high your horse is, depends on how painful the fall will be. Because it's, it's not for no reason that Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, friends, some of you need to change your posture. Some of you need to change your posture to your husband, change your posture to your children, change your posture to some of the people that you're working with, change your posture to certain family members. Some of you need to change your posture to your, hus to your wives your wives pride arrogance self-importance lack of understanding a lack of gentleness and compassion a lack of reasonableness violence an old-fashioned stubbornness persist in these things and you really give Jesus no other option So then, it's not enough. It's not enough to, to quote verses. It's not enough to look good. It's not enough to attend. No, Jesus, Jesus wants more than that from you, dear friend. If you're a believer, Jesus wants you to show your workings. He, he, he inspects your work. The Bible says that. It goes into depth, actually, about the inspection of Jesus. Uh, but to use the, 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 the language of this passage, Jesus will inspect your work. And if when he comes to inspect your work, on your paper he sees a picture of a horse, uh, he will not be afraid to bring correction. But if, on the other hand, Jesus inspects your work and on your paper he sees a picture of a humble donkey, uh, far from be bringing discipline, Jesus won't be able to withhold his delight. Why? Friends, because Jesus rides a donkey, not a horse. And Jesus rode this donkey in front of a crowd. I tell you what, this crowd is fickle. <laughs> fickle, 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 fickle. Like, fickle. And that's coming from me. I'm an Arsenal fan. I know one or two things about fickle crowds. I really do. I am, I am qualified to talk about fickle crowds. And, and it's interesting, I, I mentioned Arsenal, uh, because there are some real parallels here, okay? Uh, we, too, had a Messiah uh, who uh, managed our club for, for 22 years, and, uh, and that relationship seemed almost prophetic, um, uh, because his name was kind of the same name as the club. His parents named him Arsene, which is like the name of the club, right? Like, who, who named the kid Arsene, anyway? And, and, and he, too, would kind of sort of give his life for the club, or at least 22 years of his life. And, and we, the people, we, the crowd, we longed for him to lead us. We wanted him to lead us against the Roman Abramovich Chelsea and their millions, the Romans. That, that's what was happening. And, and look, what happened? He let us down. Okay, he, the results waned. After, after such a promising start in the beginning, the results waned and, uh, and he disappointed us. 
And what that led to was protests, demonstrations, rallies, effigies, door knocks. Uh, even a plane was commandeered to fly over the stadium calling for his head. And to be quite honest with you, it took me ages organising this all on behalf of all the supporter groups. So I am qualified to talk about um, messy crowds, crowds that are just fickle. But this crowd, I mean, this is, this is another level. This, this, this crowd takes the biscuit. This is different gravy here. Because this crowd, they receive Jesus on the Sunday and reject Jesus on the Friday. On the Sunday, they cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On the Friday, they cry out, crucify him. So why the change? Well, again, results waned. After such a promising start on Palm Sunday, after such a promising start in the beginning, um, Jesus disappointed them. They wanted Jesus to lead them in a rebellion. And they wanted Jesus to rage against the machine. They literally wanted Jesus to go killing in the name of. But what they really wanted was not Jesus. They didn't want him. <laughs> they didn't want the true Messiah. What they really wanted was the microwave Messiah. They wanted a, a, a Messiah that would produce deliverance on Deliveroo. And when they saw that he didn't have a moped but had a donkey instead, delivering the fullness of his messianic victory over the long term and over a shorter period of time, crucify him. And it's very easy for us to, as Joel said last week, if you were watching, to look at this and say, do you know what? I wouldn't do that. I, I, I'd be different. Look at these silly crowd. They're fickle. Ha, 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 ha. Reality is that we face this same temptation with Jesus every day. This wasn't just a one-time event. Not by a long shot. <laughs> Perhaps you're here and, and you're watching and you, 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 wanted, you, you wanted Jesus to change your situation. You thought... I, th I think if by believing Jesus, things are going to change. Or, <coughs> I've been a believer of Jesus for a while now. <coughs> been a believer of Jesus for a while now. And I thought by now he would have, he would have given me the, the desire of my heart. I mean, I've, where, where is my child? Where is my wife? Where is my husband? Where is my career? Where is my health? Where is my job? And the temptation for us is to... to, to to give up the cause, just like this crowd did with Jesus. The temptation for us is to stop serving, stop giving, stop praising, stop coming. Crucify that serving rotor. Crucify that standing order. Crucify these worship songs. Crucify my attendance. Friends, we, we have the same temptation. And perhaps that is your, perhaps that is where you're at. Perhaps there's a temptation there. Maybe that's been your cry for the last number of weeks, months, maybe in your case, maybe even years. Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna, Lord, save me now. Maybe that's been your exact cry. 
Maybe you've been praying and Jesus has been delaying. Maybe you feel like Jesus has disappointed you. Maybe disappointment is setting in. Well, let me say, I guess, two things to you. The first thing is this. To pray Hosanna, that's not a bad prayer. It's not a bad prayer to pray. After all, it is after all how Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 6. Give us this day, this day, our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. Jesus said, pray like this. Friends, some of the most profound prayers in the whole Bible begin with, how long, O oh Lord? Friend, keep on wrestling. Never give up. But I will say this. And this requires real maturity, okay? If you're praying for something and you have faith for something, you're hoping for something, and Jesus is delaying, it seems, don't reduce your expectations of what Jesus is up to, but increase them. This requires real maturity here, as I say. Because that's, that's something of what's going on in our passage. The people want Jesus to take down the Romans. But Jesus is focused on taking down the spiritual Romans. The Romans behind the Romans. Jesus knows that if he's... If he's able to die and resurrect, that the, the Romans that they can see, they'd just be collateral. They'd be mopped up. That's why Jesus goes after the enemies they can't see, the forces of darkness, of evil, that are ultimately controlling the Romans that they can see. And so therefore, when we pray, one thing that God will certainly always be doing is working on enemies of yours that you can't see at a donkey's pace through your sanctification. That means the process by which God transforms you to be more like his son Jesus, makes you more little Christs. He will teach you to resist temptation. He will team with you to persevere. He will train you away from idols. He will tutor you to grow in the faith. He will transform you from one degree of glory to another. That's what we'll be doing. That's what we'll be doing. But in the time that I have left, I just want to focus on um, a character that has become one of my favourites, actually, in the New Testament, uh, in our passage. And it's this little donkey that Jesus rides. So, so let's do a bio. What do we know about this donkey? Well, we know that this is what it says in our passage. It says, um, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. So what do we know about this donkey? Uh, we know that this donkey belonged to another we know this, is, this donkey was owned by another master. Uh, we know that this donkey was tied to a tree. We know that this donkey was unable to break free. We know that this donkey was likely beaten by the, the Middle Eastern sun. And we know that this donkey was left. What if, friend, 
this donkey is you. What if the experience of this donkey is meant to point, meant to preview the salvation that Jesus has for us? Because aren't you the one that Jesus remembers? Aren't you the one that Jesus sets free from shackles? Aren't you the one that Jesus is not ashamed to associate with? Aren't you the one that Jesus enjoys riding with? Aren't you the one that Jesus wants to lift him up? Aren't you the one that Jesus has called, summoned to himself so that many might see him? And with only five days left to live, and he knows it, so much to do, so little time. What is Jesus thinking about this morning? This ugly little donkey. This ugly little donkey. And I know, I know, humans, we're not donkeys. That's not what I'm saying. We're made in the image of God. We, we, we are made only a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour, Psalm 8 says. I know. But what I do know as well is that, if we're being honest, without Jesus, and when it comes to spiritual matters, we can be donkeys. We can be slow, foolish, unclean, smelly, unimpressive, clumsy, and we can get ourselves tied to trees. What I love about this passage here is what Jesus says. Because Jesus knows where the donkey's at. <laughs> Jesus knows the donkey is just away and far. And despite of the despite the, the characteristics and the issues the donkey has, Jesus still says to the donkey, I have need of it. I need it. What he actually says is. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. If anyone's, so therefore, friend, if anyone says anything to you, including your, especially yourself, about your usefulness in the body, about how you could, in the church, how you're able to, you're not needed in this church. Oh, I'm not needed. They've got loads of people there serving here. What could I do? I'm just useless. I'm just like a donkey. Well, even a donkey, Jesus calls to, to, to bring him joy and lift him up. Even a donkey, Jesus is prepared to use. How much more you that he loves. He needs you. And, and let me say this, Jesus doesn't need you because of any deficiency within himself. He doesn't need you because he is weak. <laughs> On the contrary, he needs you to display his strength. Strength that rises up and takes, up, takes on an empire, sat on a donkey and routes them. Strength that wins the eternal battle without throwing a punch. That's, that's real strength. Friends, donkeys like us have always been part of God's great plan. 
from even within our passage, quoting the Old Testament, uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Donkeys there. There are other places I could take you to. Let's speak of donkeys. Donkeys at his birth. Jesus being in a manger likely would have been surrounded at least by at least one donkey. And let's be honest, his disciples, they were a bunch of donkeys most of the time anyway, weren't they? Donkeys like us have always been a part of God's grand plan. But there is a time that in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 tells us that Jesus no longer rides a donkey in heaven. <laughs> that was for a season for him. Now Jesus rides a, a stunning, perfect, sinless white horse. We won't feel like donkeys forever, dear friend. And at the end, upon his second coming, he will descend at the, at the sound of the trumpet and we, those that believe, will, will rise imperishable with him and we too will descend with him as he descends and he will take out every unjust um, empire. He will deal with all of sin. He will judge the earth himself on a horse, making war. Yes, that's what the Bible teaches. That is to come. And after he's finished, then this scene, our passage, will, will fully come to fruition and be fulfilled. Because the passage that we have read, our passage for today, is actually a pointer to the second coming, a picture of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, of the very end of the age. And perhaps, you, perhaps you'll be able to catch some of the themes from our passage to this as we close. This is what it says. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, no longer Hosanna, no longer save us now. But instead, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. As all who believed in his name rejoice before him forevermore. Amen. Amen.